Our Heavenly Father, we give you thanks and praise for this day that you have blessed us with. We thank you, Father, that you have been doing a work in us to cause us to want to come to this place on this morning, and you have directed our steps to do so. We thank you, Father, that when we do come together like this, you meet us where we're at, and you minister exactly what we need as we come to your word and open it and read it with a great gift and blessing that we have in the person of the Holy Spirit, who is our true teacher and counselor this morning. So Lord, as we contemplate what you say to us from your word, may you impress it on our hearts and on our minds, that you'd use the truth of your word this morning to continue the process of sanctifying us, setting us apart for yourself, we become more and more like Christ and less like our old sinful selves. So we thank you, Father, for this time we have with you in Christ's name. Amen. Please excuse me. These songs we've been singing have been very emotional for me. Anyway, I, I want to say it... Uh, it's a pleasure to be back in this place, in this pulpit, not having to prepare like pastor does on a weekly basis, and I did on a weekly basis, to all of a sudden come up with a message. <laughs> it took a while. But when, when Pastor Josh asked me to prepare for this week because he was on vacation, I began to pray. And I was asking God to direct my thoughts, to guide me some, to scriptures. And, uh, and after he uh, asked me to preach, you folks, the New Woodstock Community Church, blessed your elders with the opportunity to go to the Basics Conference in Ohio again. And uh, I thank you for sending us because it's been a very great blessing for us in that we have, by going, have grown spiritually, I would venture to say, everyone who went. <clears throat> and out of that experience in Ohio, um, God actually answered my prayers to what to bring a message on this morning. Um, it's, it's amazing when you when you ask God to guide and direct, you need to be attentive to the things that go on in our lives, because all of a sudden, while we were out there, the answer to what I should preach on this morning was made, I wouldn't say perfectly clear, but it started me in a direction. And on a Tuesday evening of the conference, um, after Alistair Begg spoke, he opened opened it up to the 1,500 men that sat there with questions. And one of the questions was, ask of him, of the 30-some years he's pastored there at Parkside Church, would there be anything he would change? And he said, straightforward, without a thought, he said, I'd pray more. I'd pray more. And that struck a note to me because I, th I can remember the same question was put to Billy Graham, if there was anything that he would 
change in his ministry, I, I believe he did say, I'd pray more. I'd pray more. So I started to investigate this whole subject of prayer. And uh, we have a message this morning from the Lord about prayer. Um, I, I told Sue uh, last night that I don't think my message will be as long as Pastor Josh's because I'm going to be not going through a passage of Scripture like he is doing through Ruth, but we are going to look at Scripture. So the first thing I would usually do when I would be developing a message, if there was a need for a definition, I would go look it up. So the title of the message this morning is Prayer. So I went to my favorite dictionary, Noah Webster's 1828 dictionary, and if you haven't looked at it, it's in the library here. And if you open it up and read why he developed that dictionary, he was realizing that the generation, young generation of his day didn't know the English language. So he set to put together a dictionary. And a lot of his definitions have reference to God. So that's why I like to go to his dictionary to get definitions. So his definition of the word prayer, it is a solemn and devout, devout address to the supreme being. God is revealed in the word of God, consisting of adoration as an expression of our sense of God's glorious perfections. An adoration as an expression of our sense of God's glorious perfections. And how do we come to know God's glorious perfections? Reading this book. He reveals himself in this book, and it causes us to fall in love with him, really fall in love with him, and want to commune with him, want to talk with him. Remember the disciples asked Jesus to teach them how to pray, and he gave an outline of how to pray, starting, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. An adoration of who God is. Secondly, a confession of our sins and transgressions against God. When I started to consider this whole subject of prayer, um, we're starting Wednesday night in, in the first letter of John. And in the second chapter, he starts out that we have an advocate with the Father, the Lord Jesus Christ. And that word advocate actually means similar to a defense lawyer in a courtroom. It's a legal term. And so we talked about what a defense lawyer does for somebody who's been accused. And a defense lawyer is there before the judge and the, and the jury to convince them that his client is innocent. Well, our advocate, the Lord Jesus Christ, stands before the Father as our defense lawyer, but can he declare that we, his client, is innocent? We are innocent? No, 
he, he tells the truth. We're guilty. We're guilty before this judge that he's our advocate of. But yet he pleads our case before him as he is our redeemer. He is our savior. And it is only through him that we stand before God justified. So a confession of our sins and transgressions against God is important in our prayer life. Thirdly, supplication and plea for mercy and forgiveness. For mercy and forgiveness. We need to agree with God when he tells us in his word that we are sinners. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And unless we acknowledge that we are sinners against him and seek his mercy, remember mercy is the cross, the, the horizontal of the cross, mercy. He holds back his judgment on us. If he didn't have mercy, we wouldn't be here. We'd be consumed in our sin and his judging our sin. So his mercy is so precious, so valuable. And we need to acknowledge and thank him for his mercy and ask him for forgiveness. We need to ask him to forgiveness because he's told us that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us. He is the one who is faithful and just to forgive us, he and he only. And not only forgive us, but to cleanse us from all the unrighteousness that still resides in our hearts and minds. So supplication and plea for mercy and forgiveness. Fourthly, intercession for blessings on others. We're called to follow the example that Jesus Christ is as he is seated at the right hand of the Father right this very moment, interceding for us. And he's calling us to intercede for others. Do we pray for one another in this congregation? Do we? Do we have a list of everybody who is here this morning? And do we take time on a weekly basis to pray for one another? Because I don't know about you, but I need all the prayer I can get. All the prayer I can get. So we need to intercede for one another, asking God to bless each and every one of us, to guide and direct our steps and thoughts and intents of our heart. And you know, if we pray those kinds of prayers about one another, knowing that that prayer is his will for us, God answers a prayer about his will. And he does it. He does it. He answers prayer. Fifthly, thanksgiving as an expression of gratitude to God for his mercies and benefits. Every time I climb in the shower in the morning and I turn the water on, I thank him for this water that he has provided for us for over 50 years at Floodport. And for the hot water that it is. And the abundance of that water. Every morning I thank him for this water. How often do we thank him for the little things, not the big things, little tiny things? The big things are like the breath in our lungs, the beating of our heart, the somewhat health of our bodies and minds. We need to thank him 
for the blessings he sends us every day. He just pours it out. He pours it out to the point to where there's a verse that says he pours out so much blessing on us, we can't contain it all. So those are the five parts of what prayer is. Adoration, confession, supplication, intercession for others, and thanksgiving. The next thing is the true prayer presupposes a couple things, three things. First off, true prayer presupposes a belief and a faith in the person of God, who he is as revealed in his word. It presupposes that we really believe that there is a God that hears us when we pray. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. That gives us an understanding of who this God is revealed in his word. He loves us. Beyond measure, he loves us. How did he demonstrate his love toward us? It says that while we were yet sinners, he sent his son to die for us. That's a demonstration of God's love for us. We have to believe that. John continues in chapter 20 of his gospel, but these words that he's writing are so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. Believe. John's whole gospel is all about faith. All about faith. And prayer presupposes that we believe God is. And he is a hearer. That's why I chose Psalm 116 for our call to worship. Psalm 116, our call to worship. I love the Lord because he has heard me. He has heard my voice and my pleas for mercy because he inclined his ear to me. Therefore, I'll call on him as long as I live. When you start to think about who we are and what the Bible tells us we are, before he chooses to call us to himself, we are conceived in sin, David writes. We are born sinners. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But yet this God desires to hear from us. We are his enemies in the beginning, and he desires to hear from us. It just blows my mind. When you stop and contemplate and consider and meditate on the truths of some of these things, why does God listen to me? Why does he hear me? Better yet, why does he answer me? I'm not worthy, but his son is. And believing and trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ causes God the Father's ear to be bent in our direction. Hebrews gives us a definition of faith because true prayer presupposes a faith in God. Hebrews 11.1, 1, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. The assurance of things hoped for, assured, and the conviction of things not seen. Are you convicted that God is? 
Has anybody here seen God lately? He's a spirit. But he's made himself known to us. He's given us, as we saw in Sunday school this morning, Ephesians 2, 8, 9. We are saved by grace, that not of ourselves. It is a gift of God to believe. Faith is a gift of God to believe. A free gift. We don't have to demonstrate anything to him. We don't have to try to merit the receiving from from God by doing good works. Just come to the simple assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of of things not seen. Verse 6, and without faith it's impossible to please him. See that? Without faith it's impossible to please him. Without faith it's impossible to commune with him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists. Drawing near to God in that verse means praying. Drawing near the throne of grace and pray. Believing that he hears us, and that he exists, and it rewards those who seek him. Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, ask and you shall receive. The word ask there is continually asking. Pastor Josh would give you the, the, the Greek understanding of that word. Continually asking, not just ask once. Ask and you shall receive. Continually seek and you will find. Continually knock on the door of the throne of grace and it'll be open. That's the words of Jesus. How are we doing? <laughs> How are we doing with that? True prayer presupposes God's willingness and ability to hold intercourse with us. As I just read again, Psalm 116, verses 1 and 2. I love the Lord because he hears my voice and my supplications, because he has inclined his ear to me. Therefore, I shall call upon him as long as I live. That's Psalm 116. I would challenge you, I think I've mentioned this before, You can read through the Psalms, all 150 of them, you can read through the Psalms in one month. Here's how you do it. Today is the 11th of June. Today, read Psalm 11, add 30 to it, read Psalm 41, add 30 to it, read Psalm 71, Add 30 to it, read Psalm 101. Add 30 to it, read Psalm 131. If you do that daily by the date of the, of the day we're living, you can read through the Psalms in 30 days. And you know what you find reading through the Psalms? They're prayers. They're praises. They're songs. It was a songbook of the Jews. Read some of the prayers. David's penitential Psalm Psalm 51. How he confesses his sin. And how he is asking God to restore him. The Psalms are a good source of prayer. Understanding prayer more. Even using some of the Psalms for prayer. If you don't know what to pray. 
And then thirdly, God's personal control of all things and all his creatures and all their actions. Psalm 83, 18 says that they may know that you alone, whose name is the Lord, are the most high over all the earth. You start reading in Genesis 1, you find out that God has created everything. There's nothing that is that he hasn't created. And it's not just here on this earth. Sometimes we get so short-sighted that we just kind of look at what's around us. Oh yeah, God created my neighborhood, the trees and the grass and everything that's here. But he's allowed man to go away from this ball of dirt and look back, for one thing, but to look out. They haven't found the end of the universe yet. They're still searching. God's created it all. So how big is God to you? By reading his word. He's the sovereign Lord who rules and reigns over all that he has made. So, do we believe his word of who he is and he hears us when we pray? That's the question. Do we believe his word of who he is and he hears us when we pray? That's a question we should ask ourselves. I can't ask it for you. I can only ask it for myself. And if we desire to believe his word, that he hears us when we pray, he will give us assurance in our prayer life that when I seek him out and ask or praise him or sing a song of praise to him, he is there and he hears. And he loves when we commune with him. So prayer must be one, sincere of heart. It must be a sincere and true heart that prays. Hebrews 10, 22. Let us draw near with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. A sincere heart. Let us draw near in our prayer life with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience. How do we do that? 1 John 1, 9. If we are convicted of our sins and we confess our sins to the God who shows us mercy, he will forgive us because he is faithful and just to carry out his promise of forgiveness. We can trust him. We can rely on him. We can lean on him. We can call out to him in our need. And he hears us. Secondly, Prayer must be with reverence and godly fear and awe. Stand in awe of him. He's not the God upstairs. He's not the friend that we have. He's not the Santa Claus that we want to receive something from. He is almighty God, high and lifted up. We should pray with reverence and godly fear. Psalm 2 and verse 11, worship the Lord with reverence and rejoice with trembling. That fear, godly fear, to a degree is trembling. Trembling in the presence of Almighty God. He allows us to come 
At times, we should be in his presence with our knees knocking because we have disobeyed him and we're coming to confess. But also, godly fear is a reverence and a standing in awe of who he is that he would even be interested in who we are. Remember, he's created us in his image. We didn't create ourselves. He created us for a plan and a purpose for his will. He would like to joy over us. The Bible says he does sing joy over us when we are in right relationship with him. Prayer must be also with humility in our own unworthiness and understanding our own unworthiness as sinners. Constantly, constantly remembering that we are sinners. Yes, we're forgiven, but we still sin, do we not? On a daily basis, we sin with our thoughts, we sin with our tongue, we sin with our actions on a daily basis and we're in need of forgiveness daily. And God is full of grace and mercy to forgive us. And you know when it says he's full of grace and mercy and when we come and ask for, for, for mercy, it doesn't lower the fullness of his mercy because he gives us mercy. It's constantly always full ready to give us what we need with humility in our unworthiness. In Luke chapter 18, Jesus gives us an understanding of what it means to be with humility in our own, own, our own unworthiness as sinners. Psalm, or Luke 18, starting in verse 9, and Jesus also told this parable to certain ones who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and viewed others with contempt. Notice how he picks out who he's describing here in verse 9. You choose which one out of these two men. Two men went up to the, into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. A tax collector in Jesus' day was known as a sinner. That's how they recognized and, and acknowledged the tax collector. He was a Jew who was working for the Roman government and they considered him a sinner. They wouldn't want anything to do with him. These two men, a Pharisee and a tax collector. The Pharisee stood and was praying thus to himself. This is Jesus speaking. God, I thank thee that I am not like other people, swindlers, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax gatherer. I hope we don't pray that way. I hope we don't go to God and say, look what a good man I am, because we ain't. I fast twice a week. I pay tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing some distance away, was even unwilling to lift up his eyes to heaven, but was beating his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, the sinner. God, be merciful for me, for I'm a sinner. I'm in rebellion against you, but God, have mercy on me. 
Jesus said, I tell you, this man, this tax collector, praying this way, went to his house justified with God, set right with God, rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself shall be humbled, but he who humbles himself shall be exalted. So if we go before God in prayer and start patting ourselves on our back, saying what a good guy I am, guess what's going to happen? He who exalts himself like that, God's going to humble. He's going to break a heart, a hard heart. But he who goes humbled in heart, seeking God's ear, God looks and he exalts him. Which do you want to be? Humbled by God or exalted by God? It's a choice. It's a choice. Prayer must also be in submission to God's will, not my will. I take the example of the Lord Jesus Christ. On the night he was betrayed, he went with his disciples already with Judas sent out to betray him. They went to a garden, Garden of Gethsemane. Gethsemane means oil press, and he was pressed in the Garden of Gethsemane. And he prayed this to his father, and he went a little beyond them and fell on his face and prayed, saying, My father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Yet, not as I will, but as you will. Not as I will, but as you will. And when we ask the Father for something to be done in our lives, not as we would like to see it done, because usually that's my own will, you know? But God has a better plan. He's got a better and perfect good plan for our lives. And he, if we are willing and surrender to his will, he will accomplish it. And it always is the best thing for us, the exact best thing for us. At a time, it might not look that way. He might send a trial or a storm or a tribulation or a sickness or a loss to strengthen us, to cause us to seek his face and ask for help, because he'll help. Don't weary in asking him over and over and over again. It says in James, he will not reproach us for saying this, asking the same thing day by day by day. Remember, keep asking, keep seeking, keep knocking, and he'll answer. He will answer. Might not be the answer we're looking for, but he does answer. So how does this prayer life begin? How do we get in such a position in our lives that we can enter into the presence of God and pray? It's all the result of God at work. It's he that does the work. God calls who he will to be born by his spirit and grants a new heart and mind to be able to call on him who is faithful to hear us and answer according to his will, which is good and perfect. John starts his gospel 
letter out by saying in John 1:12, but as many as received him, Jesus, to them, God gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name. See the word believe, faith. Those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor the will of, of the flesh, nor the will of man, but born of God. Two chapters later in John's Gospel, he meets with a high religious leader of the Jews of, the, of Jesus' day. And the man comes by night and he says, you're a prophet. We are understanding hearing you. You're a prophet. What did Jesus answer? Nicodemus, you must be born again. You must be born from above. You must be born by the Holy Spirit that is a work of God. He comes alongside us. It's a mystery to me that when I was 30 years old, all of a sudden, I come to the realization I was walking to the mailbox. And my understanding of getting to heaven was I had to be a good person. You ever had that thought? If I'm just good enough, I can go to heaven. So the question came to mind, which I'm sure God planted in my mind, how good are you doing, Barney? And all of a sudden, my life started to be revealed before my eyes, and I just was not a good person. You might not believe that, but I was not a good person. I was not a good husband. I was not a good father. And he started me on a road to discover as a sinner, there was a savior that could change me. It's still a mystery to me how he did it, but he did it. I'm not the person I used to be. If you're having faith and trust in Jesus Christ as your Lord and say, you're not the same person you were born to be. He's changed us. It's his work. That's how prayer life begins. We're born of God, and then all of a sudden we have this amazing learning opportunity by reading his word. I got saved in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania on the road up Route 81, coming home. He planted in me a burning desire to read his word. I hadn't read it for, for 30 years. So I had to come home and find the, the Bible that I got from Sunday school class when I was a kid, King James started reading, started consuming, and he changed me. You read his word, desiring to be changed, he'll change us. Once God does his amazing work of redemption in a person's life, through the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross, we are enabled to draw near to the very throne of God. You see, it's all of God's work. None of We are the recipient of all of God's work. Sinners receiving from God a blessing beyond measure. And it's a mystery how he does it. But he does it. He changes us. Hebrews 10, verse 19 Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus. Do you have that confidence? 
Is your prayer life that way? A confidence to come to God? Through the blood of Jesus Christ? By a new and living way which he inaugurated for us through the veil, that is, Jesus' flesh. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a sincere heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with the pure water of the word of God. In verse 20 it says, This new and living way God has provided us to be able to enter into prayer with him. This new way is through the veil that is his flesh. Now, there is a foreshadowing of what this verse is telling us in the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, the tabernacle and later the temple had a place called the Holy of Holies. It's where the Ark of the Covenant was was with the mercy seat on top. And once a year, the high priest of the year took the blood of the atoning sacrifice through that thick veil to sprinkle the blood of the atoning sacrifice on the mercy seat of God for the forgiveness of sin. Once a year. Of course, as soon as the high priest walked out of there, he was still a sinner. Just as we come before God, believing and trusting in Jesus as our Savior, and he forgives us of our sins, we're still a sinner. There's going to be a day when that ceases. But until that day when Christ comes to receive us to himself, we still sin. But there's a forgiveness. There's a fount of the blood of Jesus Christ that never runs dry. So in the Old Testament... There was that huge veil. Remember, we just went through Easter when Jesus said it is finished. The veil in the temple, this thick, thick veil that was like, what, 60 feet high? That separated where God's name was and the people. That veil from top to bottom was ripped wide open. So now in the New Testament, God has inaugurated a new and living way to enter into God's presence by the great high priest who is Jesus himself, who has taken his own blood shed at Calvary. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world by shedding his blood, willingly laying down his life for you and me. You know of anybody else that will do that for you? and gain through his shed blood the atonement and forgiveness of our sins. Jesus said in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father in prayer or go to heaven but through me. We have to go through Jesus. He's provided the way. He has split the veil, which is his flesh torn for us to be able to enter into the presence of God Almighty in prayer. So my question to us today is, do we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus and draw near with a sincere and true heart 
and full assurance of faith. Remember the guy Jesus had a conversation with? I believe Jesus, but help my unbelief. If we're sincere in our hearts and wanting a full assurance of faith, guess what? Ask God for it. Because he's given us a gift of faith to start with, and he'll cause our faith to increase if we ask. If we see our need for an increased assurance of faith. So if, how is our prayer life? How is your prayer life? How is my prayer life? When I started considering this message, started praying, and all of a sudden I got this, this picture in my mind of me bef before the throne of grace with God Almighty, our Heavenly Father, seated on his throne of grace, full of grace and mercy and love for me. It changed my prayer life. And I agree with Alistair Begg when asked would he change anything, and he said, I'd pray more. How about you, considering your prayer life? Do you think we could pray more? Ask God more for the things that are necessary in the building up of his church? I think so. I know as I continue to read and meditate on God's word, I find myself wanting to know God more. You read a portion of scripture and all of a sudden he opens up the truth of who he is a little bit more. The door opens a little bit more. Oh God, I never, I never saw you in this light. Thank you, Lord, for giving me a desire to read your word and you open it up to me this day. How are we doing in reading? You know, the elders have encouraged the congregation to have a daily reading cycle. We even provided sheets that gave different ways of reading on a daily basis. How are we doing in reading God's word daily? Not just reading to read. Reading to understand and to meditate and consider what is God saying to me here? If we read more of his word, we'll know him better. And knowing him better, we will desire to pray to him more. Thank God that he's provided access to his throne through our precious Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And he loves us. He loves to hear from his children. Remember, when, when, the, when the disciples said, teach us how to pray, what was the first thing he said? Pray. Our heavenly Father, Father. For true believers, we're part of the family of God. We've been born into his family by God, and he is our father. We all have different fathers. My father died when I was nine years old, and I barely knew him. I've always had a question, why? Why, Lord, did you allow him to die so young? Well, it was a trial. 
And he's carried me through that trial. And he's brought around me other men, even at nine years old, other men who became fatherly to me. There's some people that might have a father that didn't have anything to do with them. I'd love to believe that everybody here had a father that loved them dearly and deeply. But we are part of God's family. He's our Heavenly Father. We are His children, bought with a price, the price of the Lord Jesus Christ, dying for us. So lastly, are you one of His children? Are you one of His children? Have you heard him call your name and ask you to come, acknowledging and agreeing with him that you are a sinner? And he breaks your heart. And you come pleading with him, Lord, I'm a sinner. I need your mercy and forgiveness. Guess what? He's faithful and just to grant you his mercy and forgiveness. Have you been there? Have you been before the throne of grace? If not, but if that is something that is happening to your heart this morning, that all of a sudden you sense something going on deep inside of you, that place where you really are, your soul, your life, and God is saying your name, because he knows us by name, and he's saying your name You need to come to me and be saved. If that's something going on in your life right this moment, all you need to do is surrender and humble yourself. Say, Lord, I'm a sinner. I need your forgiveness. And you know what? When you pray that to him, he grants you his forgiveness. He causes you to be born brand new inside with a new heart, the Bible says. He gives us a new heart and a new desire to know him more. I pray that that is something, if you're here this morning and he's calling you to himself for the first time, you're acknowledging it, he'll cause you to be born again. So that's what I got for prayer. I've decided I need to pray more after this message. So let's pray. Our Lord and our God, the God who has created all that there is, heaven and earth, and everything in it, an amazing God. You are the one true and living God. There is no other God but you, Lord. And you've made yourself known to us, even this morning in a special way, So we come before you, Lord, with this great vehicle called prayer, giving you thanks and praise for who you are, all that you are to us, all that you've done for us, all that you are doing even this very moment for us, and all the promises you have for the days ahead. We thank you, Lord, that you are sovereign, that you will rule and reign over all that you've made, even ourselves. We thank you for hearing us and always answering us from your heart according to your will. 
which is that good and perfect will and the best thing for us. For Lord, move us to desire to pray more, to commune with you, to meet with you on a daily basis, not just for a moment, but to spend time with you, reading your word, hearing you speak, and speaking to you. So thank you, Father, for blessing us this morning with your presence. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.